0: What's up, buddy? How are you? Thanks for being here and welcome to another episode of the Drop Pass podcast. This week's episode will cover the most recent major headlines from the NHL and thus will be a bit shorter than the previous few. But don't worry, the content will be juicy that I will guarantee you. Last two episodes were all about the ongoing NHL campaign where I went through the conferences by going over each team and their journeys to the midpoint of the NHL season. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, make sure to go check them out because I fully dived into each organization and reflected upon their expectations ahead of the campaign. And therefore, if you haven't paid close attention to the ongoing NHL season, Those two episodes will give you all the necessary details from the first 40 or so games and will work as a guideline for the final 40 games before the postseason kicks off. But as I said, today we will go over the biggest headlines from the past couple of weeks and topics such as Vancouver's coaching change, McDavid's ridiculous point pace, Injury and contract updates, as well as probably the most viral topic from last week, Ivan Provarov and the LGBTQ will be on the burner, so strap yourself up and get yourself ready for some NHL drama. Without further ado, let's get going. Alrighty then you mind if we dive straight into the deep end and start with the commotion surrounding the flyers and ivan Provorov? because i know that at least some of you are here exactly for that reason in that case let me make my point clear the virtue signaling surrounding this case makes me sick and is straight up bs let me be frank Like, I don't even know where to start, because since when did it go from individuals' rights to full-on inclusivity? Like, tell me who exactly is included? Does it cover religions as well? Because currently it doesn't make sense at all. Does it only concern people who have similar beliefs, or is it inclusive to all humans regardless? Could someone point me the time and place when that happened? since although I'm not here to talk about politics and I'm not trying to attack any groups by this, but more so I have something to say about the core belief in itself. The fact is that I remember a certain alignment pushing really hard for individual rights, but now it's done a full 180 and if you are not on behalf of the majority, you are a bigot and against human rights. Like, take a break and try to figure yourself out. The freedom of choice is exactly what has led to this position, so where has it gone now? Like, there is just no logic behind this. The First Amendment still stands if I'm not completely off the grid, and I think that there is no such article in an NHL contract which states that players can be forced to do something against their will, which could compromise players' future, which doesn't involve playing the game or anything that doesn't fill the job description. But like we've seen through the past few years, individual rights and freedom of choice have been publicly decreased by force, especially when it comes to personal beliefs against the mainstream. And I just can't understand that. If someone's beliefs don't line up with yours, why well, you have to be Jamon about it publicly when you could just be a better person yourself by eating your words and focusing on your own life? Cause they are most likely not there to harm you personally, but just telling you that they might disagree or at least are not fully aligned with your views. And that's life. You just gotta respect that. And if the argument is that, for example, Pravara wouldn't respect the LGBTQ society, likewise, most likely, most women are then against Islam because they don't wear hijabs or that men are against Jews because they don't wear yarmulkes. The thing here is just that if you do not embrace, support and dedicate your life's purpose to something, you are immediately against it which is just so baffling on so many levels and to me that just confirms the hypocrisy and virtue signaling of those said people. Those kinds of individuals to me just want to seem superior to others by saying things they don't actually mean and unlike many, insert themselves into topics that they know nothing about or at least very, very little. And don't even get me started with the cock from the Canadian breakfast show who compared the Pride Night to Military Appreciation Night. That dude has just released himself from the reality and he's just coming up with comparisons that are so far off the mark. Like, does this buffoon really value someone's life the same way to one who stands his ground on social media regarding equal but not so equal rights sexual preferences. Give me a break. He's a total disgrace and, in my point of view, disrespected the individuals who have given their lives for their inclusive rights on this planet that they live on. And I just don't have any respect for such humans, plain and simple. Like, first of all, the amount of arrogance it takes to tell people from a comfy studio setting, with six number salary that social justice is as equal as sacrificing your life for others is just beyond me. And I'm not surprised by the outrage from the veteran and military side one bit. The point is that I'm not against these rights, but I'm against the fact that these are forced down each and everyone's throats regardless of their stances and because of what exactly. The night went on regardless of his actions. so. What's all the fuss about? The problem here in his mind is that he didn't do as they wanted to, but according to the higher being that guides him daily. So now it's a crime to believe in God, I assume. They didn't have to cancel anything because of this. So who really was hurt here? And if you answer you and your precious feelings, you are, of course, my friend. Grow up. This is life. And if you want to make it hard for yourself, my guest but remember that no one is going to come save you this actually just creates more separation since psychologically people are programmed to go against the things that are forced on them and mostly weak people of course depending on the circumstances tend to fall into these traps because they don't have the courage to stand their ground and tell their own opinions and at that point unfortunately You as an individual have already lost the battle because you don't follow the mainstream. And although some people might call that as a rebellious behavior, I wouldn't call it that because everyone at the end of the day has right to their own opinion. And if they provide reason for their claims and don't just base everything on their current emotions, you have something concrete to fall upon. So if you haven't already caught my drift, I stand with Proverov and Tortorella on this issue. And if the NHL ends up punishing him for his choices, it shows just how shallow the ownership of this league really is and how they as well belong to the virtuous group who are not too afraid to stomp on people who are not aligned with their thoughts and feelings. That's my point of view. And if you want to express your own opinions on this issue, feel free to do so. I'm open for new ideas and conversation, unlike many people who support this case. So. You can find my media handles from the description if you feel the urge to speak out. So, unfortunate but timely topic in my opinion, and that's all what I say about this for now. Pretty dramatic start, am I right? Well, that's the way it goes sometimes, but now let's get to not-so-crowd-dividing topics, we? Next thing I want to talk about concerns the Vancouver Canucks and their coaching change, which I mentioned in last week's episode. And since I already covered the situation surrounding the franchise itself, I feel like I don't need to emphasize my point any more than that. So if you want to have a clearer perspective, go check out the previous episode and follow the timestamps from the description to Vancouver, and you'll hear my take on their current situation. But when it comes to their coaching change... I just somehow feel like this was very unnecessary on so many levels because this carousel has been running around for some time now. And currently, they pay salaries to three different head coaches. So hopefully, their pockets can withhold that aspect. Bruce showed that he's able to get the team going at the end of last year. But since things didn't turn out like they did then, their leadership group just bet on him alongside his assistant Trent Call and coldly replaced them with Rick Tuckett, who was hired as their new bench leader, and Adam Foote was assigned to replace Call as their assistant. Sergei Gonchar also became part of their organization, so it was a major change in all aspects. But like I alluded in the West walkthrough, the same problems surround the franchise despite the moves made. And I get that talk has proved his worth on the NHL level, but so has Bruce. So to me, this was an unnecessary and cruel move that was executed only out of sheer desperation because the new GM hasn't been in his office for long enough to make any major impactful moves and thus he couldn't be kicked out the same way. But I have to say that at this stage, the incompetence just oozes out of their big office who have made boneheaded moves on the staff front as well as the player front given the lackluster success of the entire franchise. Even though Jim Benning was the man responsible for their organizational moves for a long time, at this point, I just have to face the fact that he might have not been the only person responsible for their outcomes, but more so, this situation has just put some light on other aspects as well, and how the franchise has been run in the first place. Some might remember the Rachel Dory drama, or if you don't, well, he only lasted with the Canucks for eight months before getting fired. So you just start to connect the dots and start to wonder who really is responsible for these actions. I'm sure that there is just not one guy or girl who is to be playing, but would it be possible to start to gaze at their ownership group and how they handle their business? Their slump, after all, has lasted for multiple seasons now. The front office has been overhauled completely, but still, they don't seem to get out of the ditch they've let themselves to. Most recently, they decided to extend JT Miller and Andrej Kuzmenko, who, by the way, earned two-year, 5.5 million extension. And with this, left their current captain, Bo Horvath, without his, which most likely will eventually lead to him getting traded before the season is over. Add to that Oliver ekman Larson's acquisition, Brock Besser's extension, and Tyler Myers' offseason signing, and you can see a clear pattern of great financial moves. Am I right? It's just mind-boggling how these teams can throw away money like this, but I guess you always have a price to pay, and the Canucks just have been the beggars in every situation. which has led them to this point, so I guess some kind of a victim card could be thrown around if things escalate with the way they did back in 2011. And if you know, you know. So all in all, they are most likely not going to head to the playoffs. So what this coaching change did in the big picture is a question that we will maybe get an answer to at some point. But until then, don't expect anything else than them being a laughing stock of this league for the rest of the regular season. And by the way, great banter Kraken fans, I really can appreciate such humor. Speaking of humor, have you seen McDavid's current point base? Yeah, he has currently 89 dots from 49 games, so pretty much he would have won the Art Ross back in 2015 when Jamie Ben was crowned as the winner with 87 point total from 82 games. Pretty humorous, right? He's also pretty much on pace to break 65 goals this year, and he's the fastest player to reach 40 tucks since Pavel Bure, who did it previously back in 99-2000 season. So it is safe to say that he's just on his own planet. And mind you, 150 points isn't out of the question if he's able to stay healthy for the rest of the regular season, and that's absolutely nuts. He has really cemented his words this year because during the offseason he was asked what he wanted to improve in his game the most and the straight answer to that question was that he wanted to score more goals and here we are. The guy has 40 goals in 49 games and although Pasternak is currently only trailing him by three tucks, the scoring title is now his to lose and only Boston's current pace can upkeep past the scoring. Meanwhile, McTrain can do it all by himself. So, it's going to be interesting to see how close the scoring race will end up being before all 82 games have been played. And while we are talking about the Bruins, I have to tip my cap to their net mother Linus Ullmark, who is having himself a legendary year and bringing back memories from two Karask's dominant years in B Town. Since just a few nights ago, he broke an NHL record by becoming the fastest goalie to reach 25 wins in the least amount of games played. Which was held for 93 years. He did it in 28 games and thus beat the former record holder, Tony Thompson, who in fact also happened to be a Bruins goalie by one game. It is almost an understatement to say that he's having a fantastic year because not that many people saw him being this dominant back when he was acquired from Buffalo, but that really is the case, and the team's performances undoubtedly benefited his situation because. They as well broke an NHL record this week as they became the fastest team to reach 80 points in a single season with 47 games. The previous record belonged to the rivals Montreal Canadiens and Philadelphia Flyers who both reached that mark within 49 games back in 1944 and 1980. So it is safe to say that this is another feat that most likely won't get broken anytime soon. They've been better than anyone could have expected, but with their success, they've amounted major expectations for themselves for the postseason. So it's going to be extremely interesting to see if this dominance continues till the last puck drop or if they have to face more challenges later on during the spring. But so far, their train doesn't seem to end up stopping. But like I've said, drama is always lurking around the corner in this league. So we'll see how they end up finishing their fantastic 22-23 season. Then we got some unfortunate injury updates to cover since through the past few weeks, we've learned that a handful of players are going to miss the remainder of the NHL season. And these names include Josh Norris, Max Pacioretty, Ilya Mihaev, Tucker Pullman, Tanner Pearson and Cole Caulfield. Caulfield is going to be out of the Habs lineup because of a shoulder injury and this way won't end up making it to 40 goals which was my hot take before the season started so that can be scratched out immediately and although the Habs have been one of the worst teams in the league the end of chemistry building operation between Caulfield and Suzuki is undoubtedly a small setback for the team. The hope is now that this injury won't cause any future challenges because there always is a chance that these kinds of injuries reappear and affect the player for the rest of their career. Tucker Pullman, on the other hand, has pretty much been outlined for the entire season as he has only suited up in three games for the Canucks and won't most likely see any more than that due to an undisclosed injury, which, according to one source, will still need additional evaluation from specialists which is never a good thing regarding his future. So let's hope that this isn't anything that could put his entire career at risk and believe that he will be back in their lineup once the 23-24 campaign starts. Tanner Pearson's season is also over after another resurgery, which negative effects have prolonged. And according to some sources, the entire operation was botched, which has now led to him being out of their lineup for the remainder of the year. And even his future inside the ring could be in doubt. His teammates have even addressed this situation and although not much has been released to public regarding his injury, you have to wonder if even his teammates feel the need to share their thoughts. There might be something to it, so hopefully he gets his hand in good shape and is able to make his comeback next year at the latest. But since there is no guarantee when it comes to his return in the worst case this could affect his future and even end his career if the lingering issue isn't worked on so i will be keeping my eyes and ears open for any new information and i'll report back to you if any new headlines arise and just so things wouldn't get too good for the canucks ilya Mihaev was also outlined for the remainder of the 22-23 season due to a partial acl tier so one more punch in the gut for the Canucks, if I might say so. And when it comes to the remaining two names, Pacioretty and Norris, it is just sad how these guys' seasons ended since. First, Pacioretty made his comeback to the NHL ice and simultaneously debuted for the Hurricanes after undergoing an off-season operation. But just after five games, his Achilles injury renewed. And he was placed in the injured reserve after their win against the Minnesota Wild. Like it just has to be so infuriating and frustrating to rehab yourself back into game form only to be able to enjoy it for five games before possibly heading back to the operating table and kissing the rest of the season goodbye. He was able to record three goals in five games, so it goes without saying that the Canes would have benefited from his presence on their lineup, especially in the playoffs. When goals are hard to come by, but this is the current reality, and they get some room to their cap space to replace him with. But that as well won't be an easy feat. So it's obviously going to be an interesting deadline for the Canes as they also gotta deal with their current goalie Carousel. And lastly, Josh Norris is a bit similar case because he suffered a shoulder injury back in October and missed over three months due to it before returning to their lineup. But in the third period of his comeback game, He re-injured it and is now waiting for his timetable for another surgery. So like I mentioned when I talked about Caulfield's injury, these are not easy injuries to deal with taking into account the speed and physicality of the game. So there is always a real concern when a player suffers an injury like this. Even Shane Pinto said during an interview that there is just no way to replace him on their lineup. And I'm totally with him because he's become a real impact top six center for the Sens and with him not being in their lineup, the comeback to the playoff conversation just became that much harder. And truthfully, I don't see them making the playoffs anymore after such a significant injury up top. He has become one of their leaders on ice as well as in the locker room, while his deadlines prove his worth for the organization. So they as well could be heading to a mildly hectic deadline if their front office decides to make moves to improve their odds for the future. So. Keep your eyes on this team before the deadline clock runs out. Next up, we head to trade and contract front since we saw one notable trade last week between the Colorado Avalanche and the San Jose Sharks. Meanwhile, a handful of names earned new paychecks for the future and therefore need some audio time. So let's head to those next. The apps acquired back a bottom six option Matt Nieto, and alongside him, former first round pick Ryan Merkley was headed to Mile High City who will be facing even bigger challenge when trying to break into their top six. Martin Kaut alongside defenseman Jacob McDonald were headed to California in exchange. So in my eyes, this should be a beneficial move for both teams. And let me explain why in just a moment. Nieto has been jumping back and forth between the Avs and the Sharks, so he is really accustomed to the operations in Colorado and will without a doubt strengthen their bottom six during the upcoming postseason run and the last remaining games of the regular season. He won't put up huge point totals, but he's an excellent two-way winger who shines on the penalty kill, so a must-have guy when the games start to matter even more during the spring. Merkley, on the other hand, is a wild card who in the best case could turn into a very prolific top six offensive defenseman but since he hasn't been able to solidify his spot on the Sharks' back end, his upside has been consistently dropping, and now is facing even bigger challenge to fulfill his potential on a stacked Avs blue line. He's still just 22 years old, so there's time for him to take the next step. Just take a look at Connor Timmins, who was a former Avs pick. So this deal really has some upside for the Avs if all stars end up lining correctly on their future endeavors. But still. Major concerns about his professionalism, so we'll see how long that stay will end up being for this highly skilled blue liner. Sharks, on the other hand, receive a serviceable AHL slash NHL defenseman with good two-way capability, while Martin Kaut has showed some flashes on the Avs uniform this year, so the other first-round pick could end up finding his spot on their top nine already this year if he ends up impressing in the minors like I expect to happen. He doesn't necessarily hold as high of an upside as Merkley does, but without questions, the guy will have a lengthy stay in the NHL. And now, more than ever, the NHL doors are open for him on a struggling franchise, which needs youth for the future as well. So I'm not going to name any winners on this deal, but just recognize that the abs could be a major beneficiaries of this deal if everything ends up going according to plan. Then we head on to contract front, where names Matt Baldy, Pavel Saka, Joe Pavelski, Stuart Skinner, Andrei Kuzmenko, and Yuzo Valimaki have earned significant extensions, and thus will need more details. So now we will go over those. I already went through Kuzmenko's contract specs, so I will just glance over them. And thus, the first name on the board is going to be Matt Baldy, who signed a seven-year extension with the Wild worth seven million per season. And in my opinion, this was a tremendous deal for the wild since Boldy has some real upside in his game. And if he really boosts his point totals during the next few years and stays consistent, he will without a doubt earn some minutes alongside Caprizov. And if that ends up happening, I can guarantee you that his point totals will jump quite drastically. Like they have for Zuccarello, who has enjoyed Kirill's company for a few years now. I really believe that this deal will be one of the best in the league in a couple of seasons since Bill Gehring is guiding the team to a right direction. And once the anchor contracts run out, they have a clean slate to operate with. And Baldy will without questions be a significant part of their future, just like a who still has three years in his contract before becoming an UFA, which will be another crossroad to face in the near future. But like I said, I like this deal for the while. They don't force themselves to an uncomfortable situation money-wise. And since I have strong belief in Boldy's upside, I believe that both the player and the team are going to benefit from this. And that fact that we've seen more guys flourishing from close to his age class will only add more fuel to the Flames. So I have nothing bad to say about this deal. Pavel was the next guy to earn his extension as the Bruins inked him to a 4-year 4.75 AAV deal. And although some still have doubts about his longevity point-wise, his this year's 32-point total from 48 games proves that his scoring upside hasn't disappeared completely, but rather his talents were not just used effectively enough in New Jersey, in addition to their struggles during his stay there. I've been really happy for his success because like I said, in my eyes, he was underutilized in Jersey and now that he gets to play more of an offensive role, his point totals have started to climb and I have no doubts about him slowing down if he gets to play top nine minutes regularly and alongside guys that can put the puck back in the net. Playoffs though are going to be a major marker for him since he has only five games on his track record from the postseason without any points so... If he wants to keep his role and minutes, he needs to stay consistent. And while I have some concerns about that, I believe that he will keep his momentum and make the beast a contender when the final 16 teams have been finalized. So somewhat of a gamble in a sense that if the team is really starting to break down after this year and he's expected to take an even bigger role on their lineup, but if he gets regular minutes on their top nine and gets to play more offensive role, I believe that he will bring value for the team and earn every dollar from his new contract. But some questions still will remain due to his lack of consistency on the points department. Next, we got veteran Joe Pavelski, who once again has proved his value as a leader on the star's first line. And although his feet are slowly starting to give in, especially when playing alongside speedsters Robertson and Hintz, his vision, IQ and game-changing skills have kept him in there and earned him another goal with this punch for the next season. Everyone recognizes that he is starting to get there in age, but despite that, the 38-year-old has been able to keep his scoring numbers up and has really nicely complemented the young duo on their first line, which led them to the postseason last year, and most likely that will happen again this spring if they don't suddenly start to plummet during the last portion of the regular season. One year, 3.5 million is a small discount, but I believe that he's more interested in staying with the team than getting the fattest paycheck possible. So good to see him back in Dallas. But now the worry is going to be when his decline will start because 40 isn't that far and time is always limited. So we'll see if we end up seeing a small decline next year or if he continues to drink from the fountain of youth like he's done through the past few years. Stuart Skinner deservedly earned his contract extension a couple weeks back, and some may be surprised by the fact that he was only into a three-year $2.6 million deal, a.k.a. a bridge deal, despite his dominance on their crease this year. At least I was fairly surprised to see the numbers, because after all, Campbell is earning $5 million per season and opening the door on the bench, so... I at least was expecting to see the salary, starting with three, but seemingly the oil's front office specializes in contract negotiations. Notice the irony in my voice. (coughs) Nurse. But I guess Skinner's camp didn't have too much leverage on the negotiation table, given his short history on the NHL ice. He's been excellent this year, and just like I mentioned during the call positions episode, He's slowly stealing the starting role for himself and in the long run should be their main option once they figure out what they are going to do with their Chris textures so somewhat surprising numbers to be honest but we'll see what the future holds for him because by the looks of it he will surpass campbell salary wise after his next contract runs out if this is his level going forward and last notable extension that we currently know of came from arizona as they extended their Finnish defenseman Ali Välimäki to a one-year, one-million, show-me kind of deal. And I believe that since the Yotes are currently trying to make sense of their future blue line, they were not fully willing to commit to him quite yet. But I'm more than sure about the fact that if he keeps improving and shows his value during the next season as well, they are going to sign him long-term and hope that he can stabilize his spot on their top four for years to come. He has undoubtedly been affected by his past two years in Calgary, but it seems as he's slowly starting to gain back his confidence. And I believe that he will bring up his numbers significantly next year if the team ends up being more competitive and he earns extra minutes on their back end once next year's blue line has been settled. I still believe in a strong 2 way top four upside, so now that he has finally broken out of the dog cage, I believe that he will take many fans by surprise who have overlooked him previously. So let's hope that he stays healthy and gets to fulfill his boots on the next level. And the last few topics that we are going to cover in this week's episode will feature the NHL Winter Classic, some ridiculous CHL trades, plus some jersey speculation. So now we will head to the last portion of this week's show before I sign off for today. So the Canadian Junior League saw some hectic action after the World Juniors since pretty much after that event, we heard the news that Seattle was assigning Shane Wright back to the OHL after his elevator shift between the AHL and the NHL. Brent Clark was also headed back to Barry after 14 games between the A and the NHL. And finally, the Winnipeg Jets as well assigned their first-round pick Brad Lambert to the WHL from their farm team Manitoba Moose after a test. 14 games. Lambert was headed to a stacked Seattle Thunderbirds squad, which is now bound to challenge for the WHL title, and in two games, Lambert has registered one goal and one assist, so now at least he gets the much-needed playing time and most likely will improve his confidence playing alongside and against players of his age. Clark has continued to impress, and in seven OHL games, he has notched 13 points to his name, so... It's fairly obvious that the AHL life would have been more suitable for this talented right-handed blue liner. But since it wasn't an option due to his CHL eligibility, now he will dominate the O and next year look to break into King's back end, which is more than likely, because the future of Sean Walker and Matt Rua is more in doubt than what it is with their eighth overall pick. And then we get to discuss the big CHL headlines which surrounded the hockey news cuz after the World Junior tournament we learned that two major trades went through between the Kingston Frontenacs and the Windsor Spitfires in the OHL as well as the Everett Silvertips and the Kamloops Blazers of the WHL. What actually was that shocking you might ask if you haven't read the headlines so let me tell you the answer. The Blazers ended up acquiring Anaheim's Blue Line prospect Olin Selweger alongside Washington's sixth round pick Ryan Hofer from the Silvertips in exchange for 10. Yes, 10 draft picks, including four first rounders in addition to three skaters. Banana lands, I say. Meanwhile, Last year's first overall pick Shane Wright was dealt to Windsor in exchange for prospect Ethan Midema and Gavin McCarthy alongside seven draft picks. So the amount of picks on the move was the reason why these two deals were so remarkable. I've honestly never seen such crazy deals on a junior level and especially the Zellweger trade took me away. But with that move, the Blazers become one of the favorites to win the WHL and even the CHL But it didn't come without its price, that's for sure. Cellwaker since arriving in Kamloops, has registered 12 points in six games, which shouldn't surprise you if you have paid any attention to my praises on his part. Meanwhile, the Canadian captain Wright has recorded five goals and six assists in six games, so there as well, the same principle applies where he should be in the AHL according to his current level, but the only thing preventing that is his CHL eligibility, which in my opinion, should be taken out as shown in these two examples. It just doesn't make sense to me to have that if you can clearly see that some players are way too good for those leagues. So in the worst case, assigning them to leagues with inferior players and lower compete level might only hinder their progress and cause headache for the NHL teams owning their rights. So in my opinion, NHL teams that own the player rights should be able to assign them to leagues they prefer and this way possibly boost their projection rather than inadvertently sending them to leagues which don't necessarily benefit the player when considering their NHL futures. So simply get rid of that rule and let players play in leagues that benefit them in the long run the most because these current rules just don't make sense if you count out the fact that these guys bring extra attention to Canada's junior leagues. But that is just my take on it. And if you have any additional information regarding this issue, please let me know, because I might not know about all the bureaucratics that concern the CHL. So please leave some info on my DMs if you happen to know more. But until that happens, my statement stays, and that's all regarding that topic. And lastly, I have a few rogue words concerning the NHL Winter Classic events as well as jerseys that the NHL has presented to us through the past few years. As a whole, this year's Winter Classic between the Bruins and the Pens was a phenomenal event and it has really become a real marketing chip for the league and rightfully so. It pays homage to generations before us and enables the NHL to take the games to unique places, although most of them being MLB or NFL stadiums, but still, you don't get that kind of atmosphere anywhere else with over 30,000 person crowds. And actually, back in 2014, when Toronto Maple Leafs and Detroit Red Wings played their outdoor game in Michigan Stadium, the NHL broke the live crowd record with over 105,000 people, and even reached plus 85,000 crowd in 2020. So it is needless to say that this event will withstand the time and is one of the more awaited events in the NHL schedule. This year's game between the Bees and the Pens was extremely entertaining while we still await for the Stadium Series game between the Canes and the Caps, which is scheduled to be played on February 18th at Carter-Finley Stadium in Raleigh, North Carolina. And although the Heritage Classic and Stadium Series games are seen as inferior compared to the actual Winter Classic, those events enable teams to partake without the label Winter Classic, which is only hosted once every year and this way bring the games to more unusual locations such as Tampa, L.A. and even Nevada. So obviously these outdoor games have become a stable marketing tool for the NHL to grow the community and a way to add some extra revenue to their pockets. Meanwhile, next year's events are already starting to get the fans excited. So I believe that this concept will only keep growing once more fan bases get to enjoy these unique settings. Next year's Heritage Classic is going to be played in Edmonton, Alberta, and the game will feature one of the most followed rivalries in the modern NHL, the Battle of Alberta between the Oilers and the Flames. So that will, without a doubt, bring something extra to look out for. Meanwhile, the Winter Classic was awarded to the newest NHL franchises, the Seattle Kraken and the Vegas Golden Knights. So all I can say on this front is that the NHL is making smart moves in bringing in the crowds and raising awareness around the sport with the unique capabilities. It's going to be a big event for both new organizations. And like we've seen through the past few years, Both Seattle and Vegas hold fanatic fan bases, which will without a doubt show up to the stands when the next winter classic puck drops. So I'm eager to see what kind of event the NHL will be able to put out. And I'm also thankful that they didn't just stick with the old classics such as Montreal, Chicago, Boston, etc. for once, but rather focused on bringing the game to new sites in this way, bring more attention to the newer franchises of the league. And also as a byproduct, the NHL gets to introduce new unique uniforms like we saw this year again. And this will work also as a segue to our last topic because I've been pleasantly surprised by the fact how much emphasis the league has put on variety regarding the team uniforms because we've now already seen two different batches of reverse retros, which are extremely sought after within NHL fans. But as well, they've allowed teams to express themselves more and more in recent years. And in my opinion... For example, the Coyotes' new third jerseys, which were introduced just this week, are another step to the right direction, which very much follows the same principles of NBA and the NFL with the way they bring up expressionism and uniqueness. I might have talked about this already before, but since I'm not 100% sure, I wanted to give my take on this matter since I've really enjoyed it and hope that NHL keeps working on this, because... For long, the NHL has been the one league slogging behind the other big ones in this matter. So hopefully they keep improving this concept and let the fans enjoy it because it brings some needed variation to otherwise consumptive regular season. And to me, one of the keys has been NHL's ability to mix in both the past as well as the future and the new NHL All-Star uniforms just once again prove that. Which, by the way, are straight up fire where they've decided to go throwback style with the framework, but add in more modern colorway, which also represents the whole city Florida's vibrant atmosphere. So at least in my books, this has been another successful brand opportunity. And I hope that the trend stays strong and the NHL would keep taking chances on this front and lets teams as well as their players show more individuality, because that always brings more interest to the league itself as well but more about the nhl all-star game later on but just as my last thoughts i have to say that the whole vote your favorite in was total bs and the entire system was rigged all along and if you don't believe just check the results and honestly in my opinion they should just ditch the entire one player per team rule cuz although it supports inclusivity the fact that some players become all-stars without any major accomplishments in this way forces to leave some players out which would be very deserving of those spots. And overall, that just diminishes the value of being an all-star in the current day and age. We like to watch the best players in action. And like, for example, do you really believe that I would much rather watch Seth Jones on the ice with McKinnon and caprizov rather than, for example, Miro Heiskanen? 10 out of 10 times I would pick Miro, who, by the way, is having a way better year than Jones on all accounts. So, what really has made him become an all-star? Just the fact that he plays in the NHL. Please, give me a break. This is one of the reasons why the entire event has lost some of its meaning around the fans as well as the players. And like I said last year, the NHL should think hard about its future because currently... It's losing its value fast. And if they want to make it more intriguing for the future, the concept would need some work and it starts with re-evaluating the meaning of an all-star. But that is my take on it. And with that, I've pretty much covered everything that I wanted to get out of my system this week. Like I said, this week's episode ends up being a bit shorter than usual, but I felt like I needed to address a few things on their own without adding too many elements into the mix. And I feel like a small change of pace was needed on the grand scheme of things, so hopefully this has been a nice change for the ordinary output that you are usually seeing or hearing of that matter. This is going to be it, though, for this week's coverage. Slowly more and more teams will flag themselves out of the playoff race as games start to run out. And we've already seen some major changes on the playoff outlook after the Midway Check episode, so... Expect to see even more drastic changes in the near future. And remember to pay close attention to the results if you want to be on the forefront when it comes to teams playing for the Lord Stanley at the end of this NHL campaign. I hope you enjoyed. If you have any thoughts, don't hesitate to contact me. I really appreciate the support you guys have been giving me. And as always, I hope that I see you again next week. Have an awesome week, you beauty. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. All right.